0: On June 19, 2017, the Supreme Court handed down its decision in Metal v. Tam, which considered the Federal Trademark Act's prohibition against registering trademarks comprised of disparaging names, also known as the Lanham Act. In that case, the Slants, an Asian American band, were refused a trademark based on the potentially offensive nature of the name. The Supreme Court ruled that prohibiting the registration of offensive trademarks is unconstitutional and violates the First Amendment. Finnegan partner Mark Summers joins us now to discuss the Supreme Court's decision. Now, Mark, tell us about the timeline of the case and how it reached the Supreme Court. This
1: case has a very complex procedural background because there was another case pending at the time involving the trademark Redskins. That Redskins case had been pending for many years, reaching back almost a decade. And through a series of decisions by the U.S. Trademark Office and some additional decisions by a district court, the decision was appealed directly to that, eventually ends up at the Fourth Circuit. And during this time, the TAM case is being heard at the Trademark Office and is appealed directly to its reviewing court, the Federal Circuit, who issues an initial decision siding with the Trademark Office that the Trademark Slants, which was the trademark issue in the TAM case, was disparaging and therefore unregisterable under the Lanham Act or the Federal Trademark Act of 1946. That court then issued a notice for a rehearing, um, bunk, and reheard the case and found that the particular section under the Lanham Act, Section 2A, was unconstitutional as a restriction on free speech, and that in turn was appealed to the Supreme Court the Supreme Court took the Redskins case, which was pending before the Fourth Circuit, was stayed pending disposition of the TAM case at the Supreme Court, and that gives you a little bit of the procedural background of the case. Uh, What's interesting to note, however, is that we have a number of triers looking at this issue and all reaching different conclusions. So there was no unanimity in the decisions, and which, in and of itself, shows that the lower courts as well as the reviewing administrative tribunals were having difficulty with the issue.
0: The Supreme Court's decision was based on its review of Section 2A of the Lanham Act. What is Section 2A and how does it apply to the case? Well, Section 2A prohibited
1: people from registering disparaging terms. Back when the Lanham Act was adopted in 1946, obviously, Congress felt it important to prohibit the registration of disparaging words. And it's easily understood in that post-World War II, pre-civil rights movements, those types of time periods where the government would have felt a need to stop people from registering disparaging terms. Now in the post-911 world that we live in, the explosive and harmful rhetoric that comes from politicians, media outlets, influencers, add-on social media. And we're now more accustomed to hearing offensive terms. And our constitution is very organic. It moves with the temperament of society. And obviously the temperament of society in 1946, when this provision was adopted, and as
0: it exists today, has greatly changed. This case parallels a case involving the Washington Redskins, whose Redskin trademark registrations were canceled because the word was found to be disparaging. How are these cases similar? Well, the cases are similar
1: in the legal issue, and that is whether or not the particular term is disparaging, whether Redskins was disparaging, much like the TAM case, whether Slants was disparaging. And the law back when 2A was being applied looked at a substantial composite of the particular community that was being disparaged to determine whether or not that term was offensive. And so if we look at the Redskins case, the Trademark Office back many decades ago actually granted the Redskin trademark and issued registrations. And it was only a number of years ago when it was challenged by certain Native Americans as offensive that they ultimately prevailed at the trademark office in canceling those registrations as disparaging. So that is a particular type of issue that is really time-stamped, because the Slants case is more recent and some of the issues that were discussed were about the adoption of that name and the band members who were all Asian-Americans, not only wanted to adopt the name Slants for their band name, but it was also because that they believed that taking that racial slur,
0: that they would reclaim the term and drain it of its denigrating force. And finally, Mark, what are the practical implications of the Supreme Court's decision? The unanimous
1: ruling in TAM held that the government has no business in making determinations of what does and what does not constitute a disparaging term. As the all-too-often tenuous line of Section 2A was really cast aside in favor of a more bright-line ruling that opened the doors for those words to be registered in trademarks. Basically, the federal government's 70 plus year tenure in making determinations on disparaging words has ended as it amounted to viewpoint discrimination in violation of free speech. There are a number of practical things that stem from that. One is that the court of public opinion is now the final arbiter over federally registering disparaging words and racial slurs as brand names. Merchants now must balance the federal ownership of a source-identifying disparaging word against words inherent repugnance and the associated public blowback and outrage from using or registering those terms. If we look at some of the more interesting issues going forward, they have to include the concept of what is a trademark and what is not. And Justice Kennedy in the concurrence actually pointed to this issue and said that the central purpose of a trademark registration is to facilitate source identification. And whether or not a mark is disparaging bears no plausible relationship to that goal. But a trademark serves the purpose of identifying the source or origin of goods or services. They are, in essence, a consumer protection type of vehicle to ensure that people do not confuse someone's goods and services with someone else's. But trademarks can also serve a second purpose, one of messaging, be that for social cause, social injustice, or opinion. But the underlying trademark purpose in a communicative message must remain because if those words are solely to communicate a message and is devoid of the underlying purpose of serving as a trademark to identify the origin of goods and services, it can't be registered. Said another way, trademarks must designate the source or origin of the goods or services. It can also serve the dual purpose of messaging, but all messaging are not trademarks. So I anticipate that the trademark office will become more acute and rigid in looking at the underlying function of a mark that's been applied for and that is being examined, which is probably long overdue because many trademarks were not placed under that microscope as closely as they might have been. The other thing is, if we look in the broader context of the decision, it's somewhat ironic. The court struck Section 2A because it violated free speech. It was viewpoint discrimination the government was engaged in a process that it could not methodically do in a manner that wouldn't potentially discriminate. But the paradox is that while Section 2A was struck, we now have a law that allows people to exclusively own the proprietary rights to a racial slur or a derogatory term. And if we think about That, within the context of free speech, the concept (laughs) is that because free speech struck down 2A, people may now gain exclusive rights to that term and prohibit others from using those racial slur or derogatory terms as indicators of source, all of which is to conclude that the decision itself will have implications insofar as registered rights are concerned, and a potential wave of new applications seeking to register derogatory terms or offensive terms. But in the real world, these terms were used to sell products or to deliver messages, and that's not going to change. The pendulum had already swung. We encounter these terms, whether we like them or not, and that's simply not
0: going to change because of this decision. Our guest has been Mark Summers, partner at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.